Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. And if you're watching online, welcome to you as well. Uh, We had such a good week. I know it's already been talked about, uh, but uh, for some of you, this may be your first time connecting with our church and and you trusted us enough this week to allow your children to be a part of our city sports camp. And man, we had such a really good week. And we're so thankful uh, for all the families that were involved in that. And I know right now, in fact, you probably want to get up and go over there too, because they're about to have pizza. And, and uh, it might be a little more fun over there. Uh, not really, hopefully. Uh, but they're about to have a really good time. Our city kids team does a great job each week. Uh, investing in children and also just helping to have a really good time at church. And so uh, thank you for being here. Uh, This this week and really this season uh, has been a pretty busy season and maybe you feel the same way. It's kind of like things have started to open up and so we're we're all kind of making up for lost time over the last few you know months when we haven't been able to go out a lot of places and so it seems like this last season and for our family this next season is kind of a big season. And one of the things that's really big that's coming up right now is here in this next uh, few weeks and months, my daughter Julia is going to be taking her driver's test. Uh, and so you, you know, like, like many of you, you, when you were training your teenager, or maybe you were that teenager, uh, we've done a lot of practicing over the last year. And it's been over a year since that very first terrifying day in the River Valley High School parking lot uh, that I went with Julia, and I I literally and honestly didn't think I would be. I'm like, how scared could it be? How scary could it be in a parking lot at a school? But I legitimately was scared that day. And in fact, before the sheer terror took place, I actually taped a video that you're going to get to feel a little bit of the terror that I felt that first day. Go ahead and show it. (laughs) I'm pretty good, I think. I haven't been terrible. Am I a better driver than you? Um, no. Slow down. Slow down. I'm doing good. I think. Now, it didn't take me very long. I don't know where the... Don't hit this curb. No. Where's the fifth? Don't worry. I don't know where that go is. I don't know where the go is? That should have been my first clue. (laughs) Why? Okay. Watch, I'm going to take this turn. Slow it up. That was good. That was pretty good. My daughter doesn't, uh, she doesn't hurt for confidence. Uh... 
But uh, that day, and honestly, that was the beginning of the terror. It got much worse after that. And I actually think that's why River Valley stopped letting us meet there as a church. They told me it was COVID, but I think that was probably the real reason why they didn't want us to. And Julia's gotten a lot better, and she's going to do an awesome job when she takes her test. Uh, but but you, you know this, and, and you've, you've, like I said, you've taught somebody to drive, or maybe you've been the one that was taught to drive. And you know this, when you're teaching somebody to drive, or when you're the one being taught to drive, one of the big things you talk to them about is, hey, be careful not to get distracted. Because when you get distracted, and there's a lot of ways you can get distracted, especially now when you drive, it's very easy to get distracted. And when we get distracted when we're driving, it usually doesn't go well. It usually ends up with, oh, I didn't see that. You know, that's kind of how it ended up. Uh, And we get really distracted, and it's very easy, especially with cell phones and different stuff like that today. And you know this. It's easy to get distracted when you're driving, and when you do, it doesn't go well. But, but in other areas of our life, isn't it pretty easy to get distracted? Uh, if, whether it's a relationship, it might be a job, it might be our finances, it might be we have, you're part of an athletic team, and, and it's really easy in the midst of doing what we're supposed to do, and trying to do the right thing, and trying to make good decisions, it's really easy to get distracted. And when we get distracted, we begin to make poor decisions and we end up not really meeting the goal or the mission or kind of the thing, the target that we're trying to hit. When we get distracted, we make bad decisions and and kind of miss the target. And this is true in a lot of areas, but this can also be true in our relationship with God. This can be true spiritually in our relationship with God. And in fact, one of the enemy's strategies is, his strategy is to distract us. I mean, when Jesus walked the earth, and maybe you're a follower of Christ, or maybe you're kind of investigating faith, but whether you you followed Jesus or not, if you were to just to read through some of the, the historical documents, and you read through the Gospels, you see that, man, the enemy tried to distract Jesus. Why wouldn't he try to distract us as well? And Mark, we've been kind of walking through the book of Mark this summer, and Mark tells us of a time when Jesus was involved in doing all the things that he would normally do, and the enemy tried to distract him, and instead of being distracted, Jesus used this opportunity to point to what was most important. And in Mark chapter 10, the the account starts the same way a lot of Mark, if you read through the book of Mark, you you see a lot of the same things happen in the life of Jesus. One of the things that happens is Jesus heals people. He he heals people and there's uh, crowds are following him. And we've talked about it this summer, man. Man, he, if he was running for governor or he was running for something, he'd get voted in because the crowds are huge. And people are following him. And Jesus, anytime there was a crowd following him, he would usually try to take that opportunity to teach them something. And so that's what he's doing in this case. He's got a big crowd following him. And so he takes some time to sit down with them and he begins to teach them truth. But just like Jesus is is doing what he normally does, the religious leaders of this day had kind of the same playbook that they ran every single time. And here's what they would do. 
They, they weren't a big fan of Jesus, and they weren't a really big fan of the fact that they were losing popularity, and all these people were following Jesus, and Jesus wasn't a really big fan of them either. And so what they did is they tried to distract and so Jesus, I mean, put yourself in this scenario, put yourself in the kind of where, where, where we're at, and, and all of a sudden, wow, is that you, Jesus? Uh, uh, no, but I was, you know, put yourself in this scene, and there's going to be background music for that, but put yourself in the scene. Jesus is teaching, he, he's, he's teaching truth, he's loving people, and then all of a sudden, just out of left field... The religious leaders throw out a controversial question with the goal of distracting Jesus and getting people to stop following him. And so he's, he's there and he's teaching, and, and here's the, the crazy question just out of left field that the religious leaders throw at Jesus while he's teaching. They say this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You're like, oh, great. First time I'm at church in a year, and, and now you're going to talk about divorce. Are you about to start selling hankies, too, or kind of prayer hankies? Kind of, is that the next thing? No. No. G- Jesus, you, you'll be interested to see what he says. But, but you can see how this would have been so awkward. Jesus is teaching. Like, if somebody just stood up right now and like, hey, do you like chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Like, where, where's, ask me that in the lobby, but that would be really awkward if somebody did that. Well, that's kind of what happened. Like, Jesus is teaching, people are leaning in, and then out of the blue, a religious leader gets up and, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, in this, in this day and age, there were kind of two schools or kind of two thoughts on divorce, and here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get Jesus to take a side because they knew as soon as he took a side, the, the, the people on the other side would stop following him. And so here's kind of the two schools. There was one school or one thought that was basically, dude, if she burnt the brownies, you could divorce her. If she wanted to watch Hallmark and you wanted to watch the game, you can divorce. Like, that, like basically whatever. You, you, you don't, whatever you want, you just need to get, you know, it was, it was really, really ugly and really, really selfish. But there was a group of people that basically thought, Whatever, man, just if you feel like going somewhere else or with somebody else, then you can divorce. And, but then there was another group that said there's only one reason that you can divorce somebody, and that's for adultery. And so they, this is the, the crowd. So you got people on both sides of that aisle, and, and, and Jesus, they're, they're waiting for Jesus to take a side. But Jesus is the master teacher. And so instead of answering his question, here's what Jesus says. What did Moses command you? you? You know your hero Moses, the one that, man, if you grew up in Israel, man, he's like the guy you have on the, the wall. He's the poster on the wall. He's your superhero. You guys love Moses. What did your superhero Moses say about this? And they said, okay. Moses said, he said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. So, so Moses what, what Moses did, because in, in the day and age when Moses was on the earth and he was leading the nation of Israel, there was a, like the dudes were extremely selfish and they would basically use divorce just to go be with another woman and kind of proliferate adultery. And so what Moses did to protect the women was he made them at least write a certificate of divorce where they had to have reasons for doing it. They couldn't just throw a woman out and, and Moses made them do that. And it wasn't Moses. Moses, Moses wasn't promoting it. He was really trying to protect the women of his day. And then Jesus says this. 
He says, but Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. Once again, the religious leaders, they wanted to focus on the outside. They wanted to focus on what everybody saw. And Jesus used this opportunity like he did in a lot of cases. And he said, guys, let's talk about your heart. Let's not talk about this outward thing. See, see, whether it's marriage, money, power, or any other kind of oh, different, or you can mention any other thing, the religious leaders of this day would, would basically use the system and manipulate the system, whether it was money, marriage, relationships, they would manipulate the system to basically feed their lifestyle, to make it good for them, and to kind of build themselves up. And then what they would do is they would take their made-up rules. They weren't God's rules. They're made-up rules, and they would put them on the backs of people. And they would say to people, hey, if you don't follow our made-up rules, these aren't God's rules. These are rules we've made up on top of what God said. If you don't follow our made-up rules, God's not good with you. And they would shame people. If you don't check all the right boxes and, and not check all the wrong boxes, if you don't, you don't live the good list and not live the bad list, if you don't, you don't do things exactly how we said, not how God said, then, then you're on the outs with God. For some of you, you, you might say, man, that's kind of why I walked away from the church, Chris, because that's what I experienced. I experienced people that were religious people that basically told me to do things or not do things that God didn't even tell me to do, and they did it from a motive of manipulation, and man, I just got tired of it, and I felt shame every time I went to church, and so I just kind of left it. And some of you say, man, that's, that's my testimony. And what Jesus did, because this made Jesus so angry, it made him so angry when the religious leaders would put these rules on people and say, hey, if you don't obey me, you're not good with God. And Jesus said, forget about the outward. Let's talk about the heart. Let's point to the heart because from the heart, the rest of life takes place. The rest of life comes from the heart. Whether it's marriage, money, doesn't matter. And so Jesus, he he, he never really answered their question, and he, he kind of finishes up his conversation by pointing them back to what God says. He says this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Basically, Jesus believed that, man, marriage is a spiritual covenant between a, a man and a woman. And, and, and he, he was speaking into this. And, and here's what, why it was so important to Jesus. And this is whether, no matter what you believe about God, no matter what you believe about Jesus, no matter what you even believe about marriage, this is something you would want to lean into. And, and here's, here's what I'm about to say. The reason marriage was such a big deal to Jesus was because it was a picture to the world of God's love for people. It's almost as if, and, and I'm making this part up, so this is an illustration. It's almost as if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were in heaven one day and before all this stuff started and said, you know what, we, we, we need a visible illustration of how much we love people. 
We, we need a visible illustration that we can show all these people uh, how, how unselfish our love is, how uncompromising our love is, how faithful our love is, how unconditional our love is. Man, man, what picture, what, what picture should we give the people so that they can really see how much we love them? And they decided that marriage was that picture. In fact, Paul says later in Scripture, he says that marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his people. That's why it was such a big deal, because Jesus, he says, he, he said, man, I, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to love people. I came to love people that the religious system has left out. I came to love people that the religious system has shamed. I came to love people, and, and marriage to Jesus was a picture to the world of what that love was supposed to look like. And so what, here's what's interesting, what, what the, the, the religious leaders wanted to be a controversial issue that kind of split the crowd, actually got people leaning in. And in fact, the very next thing that happens is something very special, and, and, and it was, the, the people didn't start to leave, and it wasn't a controversial thing, Jesus just told the truth and told what God said, and then all of a sudden, this is what happens, it says this in, in uh, verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked him. So Jesus has just talked about marriage and, and kind of God's ideas on that. And then instead of the crowd getting like, well, we don't believe what you think or we're, we're on this side, we're leaving. All of a sudden, people just start bringing their kids to Jesus. And they just want Jesus to pray over their kids and just to bless their kids. And man, they're excited to have their kids near Jesus. And the disciples, because the disciples, you know, sometimes they don't think right. And we've seen that. Sometimes we don't think right. Disciples are like, what's going on? Disciples are like, man, what, what is the, what's the deal? Why, why are these kids kind of messing up things? These kids aren't that important. Jesus, you've got bigger things to worry about. You know what? Don't worry about it. We'll get somebody else to take care of the kids. But Jesus, you've got more important things to do. So when these people were bringing their kids, the disciple Peter's like, no, you, you stay away. You go over there. You, you know, whatever. And Jesus, it, watch what Jesus does. It says this. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Like he, this strong emotional reaction. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. It says, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whomever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. And Jesus, as the disciples are saying, hey, get away, get away. Jesus doesn't have time. Jesus says, stop. Stop it. Stop preventing these kids from coming. These kids are coming to me, and these kids are an example to you as an adult, as you as a disciple, you guys that are trying to stop these kids from coming. They're an example to you of the posture someone has to have to have a relationship with God, to be in the kingdom of God. You see a little kid. A little kid is trusting. A little kid depends on, on their parents and on adults. And, and, and these little kids are coming to me. They don't have a wrong motive. They're coming to me and they have a trusting, pure 
heart and they believe me, that's the posture you need to have if you're going to be a part. So instead of preventing them from coming, you need to learn from them. Last night, we, uh, I was, we were getting ready for bed and uh, my, my little girl, Kate, she's going to be eight tomorrow, actually. She, we tuck her into bed and, and she always, she kind of, we have kind of the same ritual every night, you probably do too. Uh, and we, we put her into bed, and she always wants us to pray for Ava, this girl that needs is, some issues with her health. Bella, this little girl we uh, sponsor with compassion, and then she always says, also pray for Miley Cyrus. So we pray every night that Miley Cyrus would love Jesus. And, and you know, we do. We pray for that. And so we always do that. And then she has a little, little thing that we usually put on the phone, and it's a little kind of devotional thing, and she kind of listens to it and goes to bed. But last night, went through the same ritual. We pray with her. And then she, and you know how it is when your kid's a little nervous or scared. She gets out of bed. and Hey, Dad, can I lay with Mom until you, you get in bed? I'm like, and she has that nervous look on her face. Yeah, baby, you, you can do that. You can do that. And so she does. And then I'm, I'm done kind of doing my thing. And I'm ready to go to bed. I'm like, all right, Kate, let's go get you back in bed. I'll tuck you in. And she quietly walks, still got that nervous, scared face. And I, you know, you can tell there's something and she doesn't usually like to talk about it because then it just makes her more scared. But I'm like, Kate, what's wrong, baby? Well, that we were watching that show Monk, if you've ever watched Monk and it's, you know, a little mystery show. And she saw some scenes of it. and She's like, that show scared me today. And I just can't stop thinking about it. Can I sleep with Julia? I'm like, that's up to Julia. Julia has a twin bed, and so that's, that's her. If she wants to have somebody kicking her all night, that's up to her. Uh, but Julia said yes, but Julia was taking a shower, and so Kate's like, would you lay here with me? And I lay down with her, and just like your heart melts, she just leans into me and puts her hand on my chest, and the scaredness, the, the nervousness just went away. And you've, you've had those experiences with your kids, with your grandkids. And here's why the nervousness went away. And here's why your kids do the same thing. Because you're their safe place. They trust you. They depend on you. When they're near you, they believe you. If you tell them something, they believe you. And as I was laying there with Kate, I was thinking, you know what? Is this how I am with God? Can I just lean into God like this and just be at peace? And Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, He's saying, disciples, this, this posture that these kids have, this, this just leaning into Jesus, believing him, not arguing with him, trusting him, that's the posture of a heart that's a follower of me. And if you don't have that posture, you can't be a follower of me. And he uses this child to really be an illustration. And, and, and you know this, when you talk to a child a child doesn't have an issue with believing in Jesus or even believing that Jesus died and rose for them. But as we get a little older, man, we become skeptical. And that's, you know, it's just the way life is. And, and, and for some of us as adults, we're skeptical because in other relationships in our life where we've put out, kind of put ourselves out and we've trusted hard, we've been let down. And so for us, it's really hard to trust God because we've been let down by other people. And so we have trouble trusting. For, for some of us, 
We, we were taught a wrong view of Jesus, and we were kind of taught a, a view of Jesus that was almost like the, the principal or the judge that's always looking for us to kind of do the wrong thing so he can get on us, and, and we were taught that. And so for us, it's, it's hard to just have a trusting, faithful relationship with someone that we're thinking is going to knock us out if we do the wrong thing. And then there's others, like the person that Jesus talks to next, where It's not either of those two things. It's that they have something else that they put their trust in above God. And that's the issue. And Jesus, he finishes up this section by having a conversation with a guy just like that. It says this, as he was setting out on a journey. So Jesus is done with the kids. He's he's done with the discussion about marriage. And now they're getting ready to kind of move on to the next place. It says, a man ran up. So somebody really wanted to talk to Jesus. He he knelt down before him and he asked him, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy was a guy that if you read through the gospels, man, he was a young, wealthy, successful guy. And for him, he wanted to find out what he needed to do to accomplish his goal of being with Jesus and having eternal life. It was like, I'm a businessman. Like, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to pay? What, what kind of hoops do I need to jump through so that I can have eternal life? And so he, he, you're the man, Jesus, so I figured you'd give me that answer. And so Jesus comes back with this. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. He's like, check. Haven't done that. Do not commit adultery. Okay, haven't thought about that, but never done that. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And this guy, he's starting to feel good. He's like, so far, so good. This is, okay, this might be easier than I thought. He said, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Man, since I was a little boy, I've been doing all these. I've been checking all the right boxes. And Jesus, and I love this phrase, Looking at him, Jesus loved him. So Jesus looked at this guy that, man, he was there for Jesus to basically do something for him. And Jesus just had genuine compassion for this guy. He says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. Is Jesus saying that, man, in order to follow him, we have to sell everything we have and give it all away? No. But for this man, he was trusting in his earthly riches. He was trusting in his earthly accomplishments, his kind of earthly stuff. He he was putting all his trust in that. And Jesus was basically saying to this guy, God, you've got to quit trusting in all of your stuff, all of your money. And in order to have eternal life, you have to trust God, not all this stuff. In verse 22, one of the saddest verses in this section, it says, but he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Man, this guy, you can just see his face. He's so disappointed because he's like, man, I've got so much stuff. I I just can't do that. I, I can't give up my stuff. I can't give up the false hope that I have in my stuff. I just can't do it. And Jesus, he he looked around just like he would normally do. He would use opportunities to teach. He looked around 
and said to his disciples, how hard, or basically saying, it's impossible it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And if you're listening to this or you're watching on TV, you're watching online, we're these people. Because in the world, you, you might be like, I ain't wealthy, but in this world, you are really wealthy compared to most of the world. We're all, we all are. And Jesus, what he was saying, he was saying, man, wealth tends to breed self-sufficiency and false sense of security. And it leads many people to imagine that basically they don't need God. I've got enough stuff. I got enough money in the bank. I've got kind of the next few years planned out. The 401k is looking okay. The house is almost paid off. Like, like, okay, things are good. And I don't really need God that much. We're doing okay without him. And Jesus, he, he makes this point to his guys. Guys, it's so hard. It's, all, it's impossible for someone who is self-sufficient and basically believe that, that God gets a good deal if they join the team. It's, it's just really hard for that person to have a relationship with God. In verse 24, it says, the disciples were astonished. Like, what? Again, Jesus said to them, he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' point is a relationship with God by human effort is impossible. A relationship with God that you earn by your effort, by your stuff, it's impossible. Jesus says it's it's." Almost like a camel going through the eye of a needle, as impossible as that would be. That's how impossible it is for you to earn a relationship with God. And the disciples, man, they're, they're, they, don't, they don't get this. They're, they're at least bothered by it. It says in verse 26, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Like, like they looked at this young guy like, man, this is a sharp guy. He's, he's doing things right. He's probably very moral. He's, he's, man, he's doing well for himself. And in this society, if you had money, it was almost like God was blessing you or you had God's favor. That's what they thought. And so they look at this guy and they think, if this guy doesn't get in, then, then who has any hope? And that was Jesus's point. His point was, man, it has nothing to do with human effort. See, if we can earn it, who can get it? Who can get in? If it's, it has to be earned. I mean, let's think about it in our, in our day. Like, can I go to church enough to earn a relationship with God? Like, if I don't miss any weeks, can I earn it? If I give enough money to charities and good causes, if I, man, I'm really generous with my finances, can I, can I kind of sneak into the kingdom of God? Can I kind of sneak into a relationship with God? Like if, if I keep enough bad stuff out of my life and kind of the, the big four or five sins that, you know, you really shouldn't do, if I stay away from all of those, I mean, can I kind of earn this thing? And the answer is no. No, no. So, so, Chris, you're saying that on my own, it's impossible and I'm hopeless. And the answer is yes. And that's what Jesus' point was. On my own, by my own effort, with my own finances, with my own works, I can't 
earn a relationship with God, I am hopeless. Which leads us to this question. And maybe you've never thought this question. Again, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're kind of investigating faith. Maybe you've been burnt by the church, and you're kind of just making your way back, kind of investigating it again. This question is one that every single one of us should grapple with, and it's simply this. Are you okay with the fact that you can't earn a relationship with God? You're like, Chris, that's not how I was brought up. They made me take like these classes, and I had to do this thing and that thing. And they, they told me if I, if I could do enough of this, and if I stayed away from enough of this, that I, I could earn it. Well, the question is, are, are you okay with the fact that you can't earn a relationship with God? Like there's nothing, like we're, man, we're Americans. We, we go after stuff. We accomplish stuff. Are you okay with knowing you can't accomplish this one? There's nothing you or I can do to have a relationship with God on our own. And Jesus, as he's kind of just left the guys hanging there, he ends this section by saying this. Looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. Because all things are possible with God. With man, that rich young guy, he'll never get in. He'll never have a relationship with me. But with God, all things are possible. See, we're here, and you may be watching online, and and we're here from a lot of different backgrounds. We're here from a lot of different places. We've kind of, all of us are probably on a little different place on our faith journey. But, but here's, here's what I know for all of us, no matter where we are, that Jesus, what he said almost 2,000 years ago is very relevant for each of us, no matter where we're at, no matter where we stand on that faith journey. See, the religious leaders, they tried their best to throw Jesus off, and this is just one example where they tried to throw him off, and, and instead of him allowing them to throw him off and get distracted, Jesus leaned in and he pointed to what was most important, a relationship with him. And, and just a, not long after this discussion, not long after what we read took place, Jesus was praying with some of his friends in a garden. And it was about one o'clock in the morning and a group of of religious leaders sent soldiers to get Jesus and they took Jesus right there from the garden and they, they took him and for the entire night they put him on trial. And all night long they, they brought in false witnesses with the idea that they were trying as they had for many years to discredit Jesus because they wanted him gone. And it was in that night that they began to beat Jesus. They began to spit in his face. They began to mock him. And then they turned him over to the the guys that were the professional killers of the day, the Romans. And the Romans, man, they were really good at this. And they took Jesus. And the Bible tells us they beat him to the point where he didn't look like a human being. And then they nailed him to a cross. And it was on that cross... That Jesus died and bled, not for his sin, because he had never sinned, but for my sin, for your sin, for your sin, if you're watching online. 
They put his body in a grave, and after three days, his, he, he proved to all of eternity that he was God, that he did have power over death and sin, and he rose from the grave three days later. And Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus basically said, hey, remember how I said you can't earn it? It's a gift. You can never do anything for it, but I want to give it to you. I want to give you a relationship with me. I want to give you hope. I want to give you an eternity in heaven. And and so here's what I'll do. Jesus said, hey, I'll take your sin and I'll trade you my righteousness. I'll pay for your sin like it was mine. And I'll give you my righteousness like it was yours. And that's what I want to do for you. And you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But I want to do it for you. See, the enemy hates this. The enemy hates Jesus. The enemy tried to distract Jesus. The enemy tries to distract us. But at the end of the day, it comes down to one of two choices. One of two choices. Jesus offers us righteousness and hope. And he says, I'll trade you your sin for my righteousness. And so, man, we have one or two kind of things that we can decide. We can receive it. We can receive it. And, and he told us how to receive it. He says you need to receive it like a little kid. Little kid that trusts and believes. You, you need to have the heart of a child and, and receive it. Receive it knowing that, man, I need you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. Or we can reject it. We can decide, you know what, I'm going to trust in something else. I'm going to make something else in my life is going to make me okay. And then when I get into eternity, I'll kind of, I'll kind of deal with my sin myself. He, he gives us those choices. And so if you're here this morning and you would say, Chris, I've never started a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and, and, and you say, man, I've never started a relationship with Jesus, but it's becoming clear to me that Jesus loves me and that he died for my sin and that he rose from the grave. And man, I, I want a relationship with Jesus. How would I do that? Well, it's, it's real simple. Are you willing to admit to God that you're a sinner? Are you willing to, God, I, I admit it. I have broken your commands. I've done it my way. I admit that. Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to believe in your heart that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, that he did that for you and for me? Are you willing to own that? And then are you willing to just turn to Jesus and come to him and say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Come inside me and save me. You can do that. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And and there's been a time in your life when you've made that decision. But for you, just like me, I have a tendency to stop trusting Jesus in my daily life. I trusted him for my eternity. I had trusted him for that. But sometimes I struggle to trust him in my daily life. And for you as a follower of Jesus, it's, it's, man, I, I trusted you for my eternity, but man, I need to trust you and be dependent on you just like I am for my eternity in my daily life. I don't know about you, but... I need Jesus to be a good dad. I need Jesus to love my wife unselfishly. I need Jesus to remain pure. I need Jesus and you just keep filling in the blank for me. And I'm honestly, so do you. Yeah, we need Jesus for our eternity and we need to trust him for our eternity. But man, we we need him. We need his power 
in our daily life because on our own, man, we will mess things up. Which leaves us with this one more statement that I'll close with. Intimacy with God leads to power from God. Intimacy with God leads to power from God. If I, if I want His power in my life, and I want His power in my life to help me be a good dad, to help me love my wife well, to help me do a good job at work, it's going to mean that I spend time with Him. Because intimacy with God leads to power from God. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Hey Chris, I... When you were talking about somebody that hasn't started a relationship with Jesus, man, that's me. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you walked away. Maybe you've never been to church. This is your first time. And maybe somebody from the church even hurt you in the past, and you're just kind of coming back a little bit. But, but for whatever reason, you, you've never started a relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you like to do that? We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to get up or anything. But maybe just right in your seat, you would say, Chris, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Well, just in the quietness of your heart, would you just pray to God? You say, well, Chris, I've never really prayed. Well, really what praying is, is we're just telling God what we believe in our heart. And so just in the quietness of this room, would you just say this to God in your heart? God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I've broken your commands, God. Just tell him. And then, then tell him, hey, but God, I, I believe that Jesus, your son, died for my sin. And he rose from the grave for me. And this morning, as best I know how, I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm asking you to save me. I want to start a relationship with you. Just tell him. If you're here this morning or you're maybe you're watching online and you'd say, hey, Chris, when you did that, I, I prayed. I talked to God. I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. I started a relationship with God. Would you maybe sometime during that final song, would you be willing to maybe take that card that says decision that's right in front of you? And just fill that out. Just tell us about the decision that you made. If you're watching online, there's a digital one you can use. Just tell us about the decision that you made. And maybe on your way out today, just drop it in the offering basket so that we can contact you this week. We won't bug you, but maybe we'll call you once or text you just to check in on you and, and really rejoice with you. Lord, I thank you for this awesome week we've had. I thank you for the precious children that we were able to uh, just connect with this week. Lord, I pray now that you would work in our hearts and that we would listen and obey you in Jesus' name. Amen.